This talk was given by Ronald Hogan Green Sensei at Zen Mountain Monastery. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and the co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation, please visit our website at zmm.mro.org donate. Thanks for listening. Good morning. This is case 21 in the Book of Equanimity. Union sweeps the ground. As Union was sweeping the ground, Dowie said, Working hard? Union said, You should know there is one who is not working hard. Dowie said, If so, there's a second moon. Union held up his broom and said, Which moon is this? Dowie walked away without a word. That last part, he walked away without a word, is um, an addition from a, a different version of this koan. So the two protagonists in this koan were both um, realized Zen teachers. And um, Union in particular was, they, they were Dharma brothers, and Union was part, it's part of our lineage, which led to the Soto lineage. We're talking about a meeting that happened with one person sweeping the ground and another person making a comment on it. Um, about 800 and something, so that's the time. Um, and so this, this is a, a koan about two Dharma brothers who are testing each other. So as Union was sweeping the ground, well, we all live active lives, doing things like sweeping the ground, um, doing many other things, washing dishes, um, all the numerous activities of our life as we go through our day. Yet in each activity, what is our life? What actually is in our life in the midst of that activities, those activities? There are many ways to do something, to do a task, if you will. We can do it automatically, just because we know how to do it. We can just sweep, vacuum, wash a dish. We can do it lost in rambling thoughts. We can do it to get it done. I remember when I was in residency, I loved, and I still love, to wash dishes. Um, but I never wanted to have what I called a rookie wash the dishes. Because I knew if uh, it was a Saturday retreat, and someone who had never washed dishes in a Zen monastery, that it would take them, they would carefully wash each dish, and an hour later they'd be on dish three. So I always found a way to in basketball, it's called assing them out, you know, of being in there and doing a task and getting it done. No problem. We can do it with a self-consciousness, an observer, being aware that we're doing it. We can do it mindfully. I'm aware that I'm doing it carefully, precisely. We can just do it. Just wholeheartedly do it. Union was sweeping the ground. What was left out of him sweeping the ground? What does it mean to sweep the ground, not limited by wholehearted practice, but not limited by anything? It's not unconscious. 
There is cognition there. There is an awareness of the action. But nothing is being left out of it. And yet the mind does what the mind does, moment after moment. We all have to and will have to sweep the ground. The activity of the present moment, whether you're sleeping the ground, sweeping the ground, or sitting in this hall, is you. It's completely you. No one else can do it. There is no one else who can do what you are doing except you. No one else has the uniqueness of you. No one else has the karma that you have. No one else has your life. So whatever activity you are doing is yours completely. So what does it mean to be yours completely? What does it mean that the activity you do is the activity that has no boundary to it, and yet there is an activity that you are doing? Another way of asking this is, is there the possibility of emancipation within our doing, freedom within our doing? Now, I use that word because Dogen uses that word, an individual, an undivided activity, the fascicle we're studying. He says, the great way of all Buddhas, thoroughly practiced, is emancipation and realization. Thoroughly practiced is all-inclusive. It's not about practicing for a result. Although something is happening, the ground is being swept. But the key word here is thoroughly. Thoroughly. If you look at thoroughly from a self-reflected perspective, you are doing something thoroughly. How about if you look at thoroughly without the self? What does that mean? Where is the self when the self is forgotten in doing something wholeheartedly? Wholeheartedly. Whole. Nothing left out. And yet you're sweeping the ground. The ground is being swept. You are there. The broom is there. The ground is there. Is there anything else there? What stops us? I mean, what is emancipation? What is freedom? What stops us from emancipation? When I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, one of the highlights of my existence was those rare occasions when my father would take my sister and I, my older sister and I, to Coney Island. And there was a ride there that you may have encountered in your life, called bumper cars. So these are big, big two-person little units that are open and have wheels and have something that comes out of the back that, attach, that connects with the ceiling, and the ceiling's electrified, and so it's a current that drives this car. And you have a little control in the steering, but not much. You know, it's like the vacuum cleaners at the monastery. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, you're, you're in this area, maybe about the size of the Zendo, and, you know, there's a bunch of people in the bumper cars. And what is the point of bumper cars, right? So you either crash or be crashed into. So when I was younger, um, you know, my sister did the driving, And her, you know, what's your strategy? What are you going to do when you get in the car? So her strategy was to avoid. So do her best to avoid being crashed into. Um, And, of course, so that's one way of looking at it. And then I got a little older, and you can probably guess what my strategy was. (laughs) 
But in either case, you're going to crash and be crashed into. It doesn't matter what your strategy is. That's the point of getting into a bumper car. That's the arena that you're putting yourself into. It's a given. That's how it's going to be. It's easy for our mind to play bumper cars. Our project, subtly or overtly, is a project of being aggressive, bump, 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 or passive, avoid, 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 to protect ourselves. Either way, we're going to crash. Doesn't matter. Either way, we're in some way building a wall to protect ourselves. To protect from anything that crosses our boundary line. So we each have a boundary line that we set up. You know, sometimes it's here, sometimes it's out there. For some of us, it's fixed and hard and clear. For others, it's more malleable, but there's a boundary line. It's pretty arbitrary in a sense, yet it's deeply conditioned. However we use it, it is deeply conditioned. That's how we use it. And the, it's, it's set up, and the boundary, when you hit my boundary, can be either, either fight or flight, or sometimes fight, sometimes flight. Depends which part of your boundary, the boundary you happen to bump into. Either way, it confirms and deepens my sense of myself. Either way, I'm crashing or being crashed into. Dogen says, emancipation means in life, in our doing, in the activity of our life. You are emancipated from life. Just as in death, there is emancipation from death. That's kind of an interesting story. I mean, think about it. How in death are you emancipated from death? Well, how would you be emancipated from death right now? Because what is death right now? You know, you're alive till you're dead. So right now you're alive. If anyone's dead, please raise their hand. (laughs) You're alive. So how would you be emancipated right now from death? Clearly, it's to live fully. Clearly, it's to give yourself completely to sweeping the ground. Well, how are you emancipated from life? Not to be caught by the task of sweeping the ground. To be free within sweeping the ground, within this breath, within listening, within walking out of this room in a few minutes. To be free. Not to be caught by the ideas of sweeping the ground or death. Because that's just thoughts in your head. What's the reality of the present moment of your life and death right now, right here? And so Dogen says in this fascicle, Thus there is detachment from birth and death and penetration of birth and death. There is letting go of birth and death and vitalizing birth and death. Such is the thorough practice of the great way. He just said in a much more beautiful way what I was trying to express. There is detachment from birth and death. Don't get caught up in the ideas of birth and death. There is penetration of birth and death. Seeing into this moment. Seeing into this moment of your awareness, of your mind, of where your mind is. Do you know where your mind is? There is the letting go of birth and death. where you practice letting go continually, every morning and every evening in this building, letting go, 
of the idea of birth and death. The idea of birth and death is not birth and death. Even to say the words birth and death already misses it. That's how intimate our life can be. That's how intimate our death is. And there's the vitalizing of birth and death. Giving, giving it life. Giving, giving it energy. Giving it awareness. Giving it all of yourself. Well, what is all of yourself? What does it mean to give all of yourself to listening, to speaking, to meeting someone, to sweeping the ground? This last quote that I read actually was not from the fascicle. Well, it it was from the fascicle. I'm sorry, there's another quote I'm going to read that isn't from the fascicle. But he gave this teaching to a group of lay practitioners. Emancipation means that life In life, you are emancipated from life. In death, you are emancipated from death. So consider that. The great Master Dogen gave this teaching in 1242 to lay practitioners in Kyoto. He gave it to you. His message was very simple. You can live a life of undivided activity in which your understanding can be practiced and manifested moment after moment. Practiced and manifested. He didn't say succeeding in practice or failing in practice. He said practiced and manifested moment after moment. Nothing has changed since he gave that talk to a group of people in Kyoto, in 1242. Here we are practicing our life. Each moment is available to us to use as we wish. We have that option. Sometimes it doesn't seem that we have that option because our mind is pretty full of something else. Whatever that something else is, is yours. You know, in, in... In the practice of being a student of the MRO, we emphasize training. And I think most people in this room understand the difference between practice and training. You know, practice is what you do. You want to sit at home? Sit at home. You don't want to sit? Great. It's all yours. You want to go to the temple or to the monastery? You go. You don't want to go? Fine. Training, it's not your call. And the whole process of becoming a student, the gray robe that you wear for those students or those provisional students, is that you're saying willingly and clearly, yes, yes, what I want and what you're offering are in alignment. Please guide me in my practice and training to help me wake up. We literally say words to that effect when we enter as a student. Please help me. I need help. So we take a training position. I mean, the people who, at least here in the monastery, do the training positions are almost always students. The temple less so, because we don't have that many students always there. But still, there's a permission, an inherent permission at some level given. And that's a key point. I just want to note, if you don't give permission and you enter training, and I'm not talking about actually whether you say the words or not, if the permission isn't functional, then the training seems abusive. And it makes sense because you're fighting it, you're resistant. Someone else is telling me what to do, and I don't want to do it that way. You know, I want to do it my way. And yet these training positions are very, very powerful. It's how... One powerful way awakening takes place. You know, so you give someone with a PhD in philosophy or medicine or whatever it is some chanting booklets to hand out, and they pick them up and they drop them. 
Uh, I made a mistake. I can't get it right. That's the training. That's it. Somebody isn't going to probably tell to you, say to you, there are no mistakes in training. That the way the training works is you drop the books sometimes. Well, then what do you do? Well, you know, if you obsess about dropping the books, you miss the next cue to give out the books. You know, if you bend down and pick up the books, then you're right there. That's the training. And so on. You know, from the, quote, simplest training position to the most, you know, subtle of the training positions. And yet, in all the years that people in this monastery have been doing training positions, probably thousands of people, not one person has mastered a training position. And part of that, it's very interesting, and you know, part, part of the training positions is, <clears throat> you know, when, if you want to take Doan, for example, when you've learned the mechanics of hitting the bells and the timing of it, and, you know, I got it, I'm comfortable in it. Then Gokana Shoan comes along and says, okay, now I want you to attend so that when the liturgist does this, you do that. And you're thrown back. I don't know how to do that. You know, I forget. And you make a mistake and you're ruminating about the mistake. And while you're ruminating about the mistake, the officiant is doing something else. There you go. It's bottomless. Sound familiar? It's both our life and our practice. Well, our life and every event in it is a training position. What are we training for? Are we training to learn how to hit a bell? Well, that's okay. But what about when your mother dies? What about when your lover has cancer? What about when you're deeply depressed and none of the medicines help? What about when you're getting old and the parts don't quite work the way they used to and I can't run up and down the stairs the way I used to? Three at a time. Our life is a training position. When I say our life, all, everything we do within it is a training position. Does that mean we should meticulously and carefully, without ever taking our eye off it, do it so it's perfect? Of course not. Sometimes our life flows without a single intervening thought. Sometimes we're clumsy and awkward. And sometimes we're just doing the best we can under the circumstances. But in all cases, we can practice it. Practice it means attend to it. Study our mind. Understand what this practice is directed at. What you're giving permission as a practitioner to receive when you receive the Dharma and offer the Dharma. What's it about? It's about emancipation and freedom. That's what it's about. And if you want emancipation and freedom, then practice emancipation and freedom. So as Union was sweeping the ground, Dowie said, working hard? Interesting test. Do we need Dowie to test us? You sitting hard? You paying attention hard? Don't answer that. (laughs) Are we working hard? Another translation says, too busy? Are you too busy with the implications of that? When we encounter in our life that every moment is a moment to turn our awareness towards this moment, noting that we're failing most of the time, that's turning our life towards the moment. Don't miss the noting that we're failing most of the time. That's the practice. That's the training. 
So this is not in the sense of whether we do well or not. Obviously, we will attend with awareness, sometimes better than others. Sometimes we'll be completely asleep for minutes, days, hours, maybe months. But we can take this up without the weightiness of it. We can take this up with a dedication and a seriousness, but in a lighthearted way. We can take it up without taking ourselves so seriously, so that we're not creating a project of emancipation and freedom, and thereby building another jail cell, now called emancipation and freedom. So this doesn't work, and that doesn't work. So what works? Nothing that we do works. Yesterday we had a workshop in the Paramitas, which are the perfections, which go beyond the ordinary perspective of these perfections. They're a way of addressing the essential question of practice. How do we actually wake up? I mean, we know this part, right? We know the Zendo part. But how do we actually live this in our life? How do we wake up in our life? And I've always been fascinated by how little attention is paid, in Zen at least, to the paramitas. It's, it's, you know, part of that may have been a uh, sense that you know, we're bringing, we collectively are bringing Zen to the West from when I started, at least. And the essential, the essential heart of it is Zazen and Sushen and the student-teacher relationship. And that was brought over. But as Maizumi Roshi noted, there is so much more to Buddhism and Zen. And it's there for a reason. Dada Roshi always used to say about the training here when people would come up and complain about this aspect or that aspect, it's not there because we forgot to take it out. You know, it's there for a reason. And the paramitas are there for a reason, and they're in every aspect of Buddhism. Every, every yana has it. They're a way of realizing the Dharma. And how you do that is the question. How do we awaken? And this is a personal question. So really, it's not to how do we, it's how do you awaken. That is yours. And nobody can tell you how to do that. And awaken itself is kind of an interesting word. And so I always find myself trying to kind of expand it and work with it in a way that relates uh, to each of us, that we can relate to each of us. So it doesn't necessarily mean having some great moment of a deep kensho or a satori. Or even given that, that is not a final awakening. And it doesn't necessarily mean that if you sit shikantaza that you're not going to awaken. You will. You can. And the same goes with a breath practice. So it's not about the technique that you're using to do zazen. It's about the depth of the energy in your heart, the willingness in your heart to practice wholeheartedly. We're not trying to get to some place in practice where we can raise the flag as the, at the finish line. We're trying to use the practice as we live to be emancipated, to be free, and to live a compassionate life. So the awakening, you know, all, all the way to awakening is awakening. Every step of the way, every step you take.
So the practice of the six perfections is the perfection of giving, dana paramita, generosity. And we spent some time looking at that yesterday to broaden it from you giving to it, her, him, to understanding that when you give, you are receiving. You can't give without receiving. Can't happen. To understand that when you're offered something that doesn't feel great or may even be painful, that that's possible to use in practice. That that can help you wake up, just like when you drop the chant books on the floor. What a disaster. Is it? The only thing you can truly say that's absolutely true is that the chant books are on the floor. There's nothing else to say. That's true. We talked about the perfection of morality. Sheila. What does it mean to authentically live a moral and ethical life? And the participants were invited to take one precept and look at it from the perspective of their life, to investigate it from the perspective of their life. It's pretty humbling when you do that. It's pretty humbling when you look at the precepts carefully and realize Every single day, you're probably smashing all of them. Just depends how subtle you want to look. The perfection of patience, Kashante Paramita. I'm not a big fan of the translation of the word patience. The word I prefer is forbearance. And since Zen is completely about relationship and realizing what relationship is between one and another, the secret to relationship is forbearance. Particularly if you're seeking intimate relationship. I'm not just talking about romantic relationship. Real relationship. Forbearance. The other person's not you. Different set of judgments, different set of shadows, different set of wisdoms. All of them is contained in you and vice versa, but not all of it is accessible to you and vice versa. So what does forbearance mean in that, in that context, in relationship? Is that different than... Morality or giving, generosity. The perfection of energy, birya. A determination. The desire to awaken and turning that energy. And being sensitive to the fact that our energy sometimes is here and sometimes there. And probably sometimes along the way we settle into a certain set level of energy, which is fine. And yet, there are times this practice will call on you to give more than you're comfortable giving. There are times life will call on you to do that. You know, one of the amazing things is when you see people training in virya, how the energy seems to be bottomless. So I think a living example of that is when you see the life of the monastics. You know, you might say, I could never do that. Well, yeah, you can. Give and give and give, but I'm exhausted. And you give and give and give, and I'm exhausted. And I'm being asked to give more. And you give it. That doesn't mean you do it until you drop dead of exhaustion. There is a middle way to that, as well as every other aspect of practice. But just from the ordinary baseline of protecting ourselves, protecting our energy as if there's a tap 
that when I reach the energy, the tap turns off and I can't give any more. I can't give any more. Leave me alone. Is that true? That you can't give any more? The perfection of Zazen. You know, we do eight gates here. There's only one gate here. Zazen formally and Zazen informally. You can say this about any of the parameters. You can say this about any of the gates. It's the whole thing right there. So we cultivate samadhi in our sitting. Another way to say that is, do we cultivate samadhi in our sitting? Are we actually attending? Are we actually walking when we're walking? Are we actually doing our best to do zazen while we're doing zazen? You know, it can become something easily that we just do automatically. We just slide into it. And so, if that's not working, let's do it the other way. Let's be so conscious that you know, we take our life and attend to every second. Well, good luck with that. What's the middle way? What does it mean to be lighthearted, yet deadly serious in Zazen? Carry it lightly, and yet be very clear on what you're doing. And the perfection of wisdom, Prajnaparamita. It's interesting that that's what we talk least about, and that's what we talked least about yesterday. And we went around the room, and I asked people what their understanding of prajna was. And many people offered their understanding. And from my perspective, none of it was wrong, and yet none of it held the whole thing. Because you can't hold the whole thing by describing it. So Dogen said, pure practice of mind is from the fascicle. Is a gate of realizing Dharma. It keeps the mind from the three types of poison greed, aggression, and ignorance. Compassion is the gate of realizing Dharma. It makes you free from wanting a reward. True compassion has no reward. Who would be rewarded? Mindfulness of giving, generosity, is a gate of realizing dharma. It makes you... Sorry, I misquoted that. Compassion is a gate of realizing dharma. It encompasses wholesome roots in all realms of birth. Mindfulness of giving is a gate of realizing dharma. It makes you free from wanting a reward. The paramitas is the gate of realizing dharma. What is important here is the pure practice of mind, zazen, is not designed to develop pleasure. So think about that in a little more subtle way than the word pleasure. It's not designed to develop satisfaction or to feel good or to get it right, or to bestow some structure on yourself that makes you safe. Although to one degree or another, all those things may happen. And if they happen, they're incidental. What's important here is that the pure practice of mind is hazen, is to see into our mind which is the cause of suffering. Our mind is the cause of suffering. That's what we're doing here. To see into our mind. You may be happy at that, but I suspect you won't be. Because it's kind of horrifying when we deeply and clearly 
see into our mind. It's almost kind of off-putting that my mind is capable of all those thoughts that I have condemned so many people for when presented as actions. And yet, it's also joyous when you encounter the, the depth of our mind's ability to let go. And what happens when you let go, thought after thought after thought, how big you get, how clear you get, how profoundly heartfelt you get. And that happens little by little. It's not a switch. It's not a cloth of a whole piece that you suddenly put on as a jacket. It's the practice of your own life. Seeing into the cause, seeing into our mind, is to be aware. Awareness changes suffering. It's not about not having pain. But when we're aware, the quality of the pain has changed. It's diluted. It's workable as patience. It's workable as forbearance. It's workable as generosity. It's workable as wisdom. It's workable as a willingness to be present. And it's workable as in being profoundly honest in this moment. So union says, union says, you should know there is one who is not busy. Is not busy, will never be busy. The point is, how do we realize this one who is not busy for ourselves? That's the point. The one who is not busy is always present. It's who you are. And to see this for ourselves is the practice of sweeping. It's to see our own mind in activity. I mean, our mind tendency is to constantly be working. That's what minds do. It's definitely too busy. And we can't manipulate our mind to a place of not busy. That's just another variation of being busy. So where is this one who is not busy? Dawu says... If not, there's a second moon. So Union was sweeping the ground. I was said, working hard. Union said, there's one who is not working hard. Dao said, if, if so, there's a second moon. Of course, there's not two moons, is there? It's the whole point of Zen. That's why Master Dao says it's not that there is no practice and realization, it's just that they can't be divided. But then Dogen says, well, for the time being, let us say there are two approaches to studying the Buddha way. It's a study with the mind and it's a study with the body. That sounds like two moons. What's going on? In ordinary understanding, we might think that one person is working while they're sweeping, Substitute any activity for sweeping. And perhaps another person is not working hard, sweeping. So Dao asks, working hard? Sets up two moons. As Dogen does, for the time being, let us say there are two approaches to studying the Buddha way. Study with the mind, study with the body. When we sit Sazen, how many moons are there? We're the entire universe that is sitting on this cushion. There's not a single thing apart from this. That's what we're realizing and doing that. And yet, 
at any point and at any time, we can create another moon. Even three moons, four moons, many moons as you want. It's how powerful our mind is. And so while we're sitting as the entire universe on your cushion, we're also encountering tired zazen, bored zazen, my back hurts zazen, when will the damn period end zazen? Two moons. One is the ordinary mind of duality and judgment, self-centered reflection, flickering thoughts, and yet we are sitting zazen in the midst of our wholeness. And we're having thoughts that are deeply deluded, that create distance from our being, that create suffering, and yet this is the bits and pieces, as Dogen says, of our mind. And it's all good. Why is it all good? Because we're sitting. We're studying it. Well, it's not a great leap to take that studying from this cushion into our life sweeping the ground. What makes it fundamentally transformative is not the fact that you're sweeping the ground. It's what you're doing with your mind while you're sweeping the ground. In another fascicle of the Shobogenzo, Dogen says, birth is like, just like riding in a boat. Say with this, this is a little challenging. You raise the sails, you row with the oar, and steer. Although you row, the boat gives you a ride. And without the boat, you could not ride. But you ride in the boat, and your riding makes the boat what it is. Boat, you, riding... When you ride in the boat, your body and mind and the environs together are the undivided activity of the boat. The entire earth and the entire sky are both the undivided activity of the boat. So how is this in picking up a broom and sweeping? How is that the undivided activity of sweeping? Which part will you exclude? The broom, you, your mind, the ground, the dirt, So Union held up the broom. Knowing this, seeing this for himself, out of his own clarity and realization and compassion. And he says, which moon is this? Hey you, which moon is this? What's being left out of this? Which moon is it when you sit zazen? When you listen to a talk, when you eat lunch? in a very few minutes. So Union holds up the broom and says, which moon is this? And Dowie walked away without a word. Why did he turn and walk away? Was he defeated in Dharma combat? Did he have no answer, no satisfactory response? Was he, pardon me, trumping the answer? How many moons are there in his turning and walking away? Well, to put it another way, when there's a deepening silence, when there's a quiet depth in our zazen, when our breath turns to the wholeness of body and mind, and it's just the breath, when our awareness of just as it is in Shikantaza is just that, When the question moo is just moo, how many moons are there? And answer Dowie is walking away without a word. In his walking, what kind of activity is this? In the commentary on this case, Wang Song says, Good people, as you eat, boil tea, sow and sweep, you should recognize that the one not busy, you should recognize the one not busy, 
then you will realize the union of mundane reality and enlightened reality. Single moon. In the Soto progression, this is called simultaneously inclusion, naturally not wasting any time. We chanted this morning, the relative and absolute, like the foot before and the foot behind in walking. How many moons in your walking? Dogen said in a work written just before his death, was never published, but Kaz Tanahashi translated it. Pure practice of mind is the gate of realizing dharma. It keeps the mind from the three types of poison. I said this earlier. Compassion is the gate of realizing dharma. It encompasses wholesome roots in all realms of birth. Mindfulness is giving, of giving, is the gate of realizing dharma. Walking away, sweeping the ground, eating a meal, is the gate to realizing dharma. Thanks so much for listening. The Monastery's quarterly journal, Mountain Record, has a new home at mountainrecord.org. For over 30 years, Mountain Record has been offering spiritual seekers of all faiths a unique journey through words and images. Each quarterly issue delivers a thought-provoking array of classic teachings, contemporary wisdom, stunning photographs, and news from the Mountains and Rivers Order. For more information, to subscribe, or to read our open-access articles, visit mountainrecord.org.